Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would so work through your word this morning that none of us would be spiritual slobs or fools with respect to what it looks like to try to follow Jesus. Give us wisdom, we pray, and inspire us, we ask, by the example of this psalmist. And Lord, we ask that you do it for your glory, for our good, in the name of Christ, by the power of the Spirit. Amen. I would invite you to turn in your Bible this morning to Psalm 119, and hopefully we're going to finish it today. Amen. <clears throat> Several years ago, when I was in college, I was, I was young, and, um, and uh, it felt like this guy that was like 32 years old, it felt like he was ancient. So we knew this old guy, this 32-year-old guy. And um, uh, several of us were talking about trying to, to run a marathon, and we heard about this guy that had decided on the day of the race that he was going to run it. You know what I call somebody that decides on the day of the race that they're going to run a marathon? Sorry, love. Oh, she's not here. Oh, no, there she is. <laughs> I, still, and she's here. I still, fool, stupid. And, and you, know, you know what's going to happen to him? He's going to be in pain. He is going to be in so much more pain than he would be if he had trained. That is dumb to decide on the day of a race. I think I'll go run a marathon. Well, he did it. So I don't know how he finished the thing, but he did it. Um, as I was thinking about this passage, um, I also thought of a, an article that I read several years ago. Where are the Currens? Are the Currens in here? Uh, uh, Super Bowl Sunday, you know, Callie, if the Patriots are in it again, Callie is going to wear her Tom Brady jersey again. You can just count on it. Jonathan's here. The Watsons are here. They're going to like this almost as much as the Lord of the Rings Hobbit illustrations. <laughs> A few years ago, uh, I read this article about Tom Brady, and the man lives a focused, regimented life for football. That man is devoted. He has this personal trainer, and they have mapped out his life for like the next three to five years. And, and he, has, he has the training regimen in place through Super Bowl Sunday. And if the Patriots get eliminated early in the playoffs, because they're always in the playoffs, if the Patriots get eliminated early in the playoffs, you know what he does? He keeps right on training, right up through Super Bowl. He does the same thing all the time. You know what would happen if Tom Brady decided, I think I'll take this week off. I'm not going to watch film this week. I'm not going to throw this week. I'm not going to show up to the weight room. You know what happened? They'd lose. That's what would happen. Let's not be spiritual losers. Let's not be spiritual fools. Let's not find ourselves in spiritual pain. Let's not be spiritual slobs. Okay? Now, what's before us in Psalm 119 is, is like the inner monologue of a man who committed himself to spiritual training like, like Tom Brady commits himself to physical training. The Apostle Paul says physical training has some value, but, but spiritual training has value 
for all things. The Apostle Paul said, I beat my body and make it my slave so that I won't be disqualified as I'm running the race after I've preached to others. We need to look at this text and we need to hear this testimony and then we need to take stock of our lives. Do you know why Tom Brady keeps throwing those passes? It's, it's like, I think it comes from the same thing that I say to these kids yesterday morning. I'm coaching this basketball team, you know, and the, and the loose ball goes rolling across the court. And ain't nobody on the, ball, on the court for the loose ball. And I'm yelling at these kids, you got to want it. You got to want it. That's where it comes from. He wants it. There is a fire in that man, and he wants it. If, if we're going to be spiritually healthy, you're going to have to want it. I guarantee you this. I, now, here, I'm, 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 as, I'm guilty of this, and it needs to stop. We, we need to become a focused, disciplined people. We don't need to get up in the morning and decide, maybe I'll just look at the headlines. Maybe I'll just take a look at Twitter. And then the next thing we've got, we know, 15 minutes have gone by, and we've read a bunch of trash, and the window has closed. And there is no time left for the Bible. That needs to stop. Do you, do you think Tom Brady would let that happen? Do you think he would let the window that he has to whatever it is, eat his avocado ice cream or, or make his passes or, or, or do his stretching routine, whatever it is he does, do you think he's going to let the window for that close with something frivolous and trivial? No, he's not going to do that. Shames us. In, the, in this passage, in this passage, I, we should come at this passage with this question. Here's the question. What if you understood with perfect clarity that your life depends on the Bible? What, what if it was clear to you that the difference between life and death was, be, was determined by what you do with this book? I think if, if you felt that way, if it was clear to you, you'd feel what the psalmist says here. In verse 145, he says, With my whole heart I cry, answer me, O Lord. These first four verses of, of this eight-verse unit are going to be focused on two things, prayer and the Bible. And we're going to hear a lot of this. First is prayer. With my whole heart I cry, answer me, O Lord. He feels a need for this. He says it again in verse 146. I call to you, save me, that I may observe your testimonies. He needs to be delivered from desires for other things, right? Save me that I may observe your testimonies. And then he says, I rise before dawn and cry for help. Look at the focus on prayer in those first three verses. I cry, I call, I cry for help. I hope, now it switches to the word. I hope in your words. Prayer and Bible study. Verse 148, my eyes are awake before the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promise. My eyes are, this is a man who has disciplined himself to meditate on the scriptures. And this is a man who is doing it at all hours, day and night. My eyes are awake before the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promise. You know, uh, in, in this article that I read about Tom Brady, that his trainer noticed that when he bulked up, when he got when his muscles were swole, when they were large, uh, he couldn't throw as well, and he was more sore after throwing. And so the trainer said, what we're going to do is we're going to do more stretching, and we're going to focus on longer, more flexible uh, muscle, muscle 
uh, development. And, and the result of that was longevity and fewer injuries, less pain, less strain. If you're not training, you, you know what that's like? That's like deciding, I'm going to go try to live with no training. I'm going to go live life, this spiritual battle that Paul is talking about in Ephesians 6. And, and I'm not going to do anything to prepare for it. You know what's going to happen to you spirit, spiritually? The same thing that would happen to a football player on the football field if he did no training and he had no practice. He would be mangled. He would be smashed. Go ask Joel after the service. What would happen to him if he tried to go out and play football with no preparation? You'd be in pain. You'd be hurting. Some of us, right now as we sit here, are there spiritually. It's not hard to explain. We need prayer and Bible study. This is, this is basic. This is like doing your wind sprints. This is like eating right. This is like showing up for practice. And listen, we don't have a choice. We, we can't decide, I think I just won't live this week. No. You, I mean, what I'm saying is, you know, a football player can decide, well, I'm done with all that training. I'm just going to resign from the game. I'm not going to play. Well, fine. You've got you to live. You've got to live. What's going to happen to you spiritually? Verse 149. Now, in, in verses 145 through 148, notice how he's, he's crying out to the Lord. He's meditating on the word of the Lord. Now he's going to start talking about his situation that he finds himself in. Verse 149. Hear my voice according to your steadfast love. O Lord, according to your justice, give me life. Notice, notice the two according to statements there in that verse. According to your steadfast love, according to your justice. Those two things are not at odds. God's love and God's justice, they go together. And the psalmist is appealing to them. And what he wants, according to God's love and according, according to God's justice, is life. Why would he get life? Because he's repentant. Because he's believing. If you're, if you're here this morning and you're not a believer... Uh, we would say to you, we want you to believe. And, and if you say to us, how do I become a believer? This is it. You turn from your sin. You believe what God's word says. You turn away from sin. You trust God. You, you repent and you believe. And then according to justice, according to life, according to, sorry, steadfast love, God can give you life. Look at verse 150. There's going to be a contrast in these next few verses between nearness and, and farness. So look at 150. They draw near who persecute me with evil pur purpose. The, he's in the presence of people that want to kill him. He's in the presence of, of enemies. And then look at the far statement there at the end of verse 150. They are far from your Torah. They're a long way from the Bible and not even interested in drawing near. So they're near and they're far. Verse 151. Because of his commitment to prayer and the word, because of his discipline, because of what he said in verse 148, my eyes are awake before the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promise, because trivialities haven't stolen from him these precious moments that he could have in the presence of God. Verse 151. But you are near, O Lord. And all your commandments are true. If you don't commit yourself to prayer and the word, that is not going to be your experience. God is not going to be near to you. He's not going to seem near. 
I'm sorry, that's just the way it is. It's, it's like saying, I think I'll go run a marathon. But you haven't trained. If you will commit yourself to prayer and the word, when your enemies arise against you, when you find yourself in their presence, you know what you're going to sense? You're going to sense God's presence. Because you will have cultivated these, this disciplined bodily and spiritual and psychological response of prayer and meditation on Scripture. And so what will come into your mind in those moments is the Word of God. The Bible will start talking to you, and it'll be beautiful. You are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are true. Long have I known from your testimonies that you have founded them forever. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying in this difficult moment with enemies confronting him, the commandments are true, and they're founded from eternity past, and they're going to stand forever. So I don't care what these guys say to me. It's not going to affect what I'm going to do. In this next unit, the third to last in Psalm 119, um, again, again, he's crying out, give me life. Look at 154, give me life. 156, give me life. 159, give me life. Here's what I think is happening. I think this guy, he has meditated on the scriptures. He has understood what God has promised. God has promised that he's going to overcome death. When, when, when God didn't strike Adam and Eve dead, in the day you eat of the, the fruit of the tree, you will surely die. And then they didn't die. And then God said to the serpent, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, and he will bruise your head. I think they hear from that. God has just promised that he's going to overcome sin and the one who brought sin into the world, and he's going to overcome death that results from sin. So they're hoping for life. They're hoping for a renewal of life and a repristination of the world. That's what they're hoping for. And that's what he's crying out for. He's crying out for an experience of that life now that comes by the presence of God, mediated through the word, by the power of the Holy Spirit, and then a, a removal of all these awful circumstances and all these evil people and a restoration of the goodness of the Garden of Eden. So look at verse 153. Look on my affliction and deliver me, for I do not forget your law. Uh, yesterday afternoon, I was uh, very discouraged at the prospect of, of uh, trying to summarize the message of Psalm 119. And my wife helped me tremendously. She comes and she sits down and she starts talking to me. She says, what's, what's wrong? You seem to be in a funk. You seem down. What's going on? And I'm like, this is just so overwhelming. How do I miss it? How do I summarize the message of this psalm? And she says, it's easy. She goes, I'll summarize it for you. God's word is awesome. <laughs> That's right, isn't it? Look at what he says here. I do not forget your law. He, this is a man who is saying, I'm going to hold on to the Bible. And then as, as, as we talked, Jill said to me, these are the things that distract, that keep us from the Bible. Busyness, tiredness. The difficulty of understanding what's going on in the Bible and distraction. But look at what this guy's saying. I do not forget your law. Busyness, tiredness, difficulty, and distraction. He's saying, none of that's going to keep me from the Bible. The Bible is what I need for life. And this is why he's crying out to the Lord. This is why he believes in God. 
He believes that God is going to save him. He believes that God's going to make the world new, that there will be an end to affliction. Verse 154, plead my cause. Why does he think he's got an advocate? Because of what the Bible says. Plead my cause and redeem me. Give me life according to your promise. This is what God has promised to do. He's going to make all things new. Verse 155, here's another far statement. Salvation is far from the wicked. Look back up at the end of verse 150. They are far from your law, your Torah. Why is salvation far from the wicked in verse 155? Because they are far from the Torah in verse 150. That's why. You want God to be near to you? Don't forget the law. The Spirit will work through the Word. Look at what he says in verse 155. Salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not seek your statutes. They don't seek your truth. They're not reading the Bible. Verse 156. Great is your mercy, O Lord. Give me life according to your promise. Notice the appeal according to your steadfast love, verse 149. According to your justice, verse 149. And now... Great is your mercy, O Lord. Give me life. All those things are true. God gives life to his people out of his steadfast love because he loves us. In justice, because he has dealt with sin and he's established his righteousness. And because he is a merciful God. All those things are true. If that seems puzzling to you, let's talk after the service. Or, or talk to any one of us after the service. He, he, he turns again to his situation in verse 157. Look back at one, 150. They draw near who persecute me. Now 157. Many are my persecutors and my adversaries, but I do not swerve from your testimonies. When, when people come against us, you know, I, I ran into the guy several years ago. As many of you know, I, I went twice, two years in a row, I went to China to teach in um, an underground seminary there. Maybe I shouldn't have said that, but that's what happened. And uh, the guy uh, who leads that group was on campus this week, and I asked him how things are going. And he said, well, the new president's a man of his word. And he said he's going to clamp down on underground churches, and he's doing it. And um, so uh, he has given the, uh, the home church, house church pastors until February to either register with the, the three-self church, the state church, or to disband their churches. And I said, what are they going to do? And he said, they're praying. And they're, they're trying to, to sort through what they should do. But they don't know. They don't know yet. We should pray for these brothers. Verse 157, many are my persecutors and my adversaries, but I do not swerve from your testimonies. When persecution and adversaries come, we have to know the scriptures and we have, to, we have to have so experienced God in the Bible that this is how we respond. Verse 158, I look at the faithfulness, faithless, sorry, I look at the faithless with disgust because they do not keep your commands. Now, I, I think what he's communicating here is just a gut level response. I look at the faithless. These are people, apparently, who were or act like they were, acted like they were, committed to the Scriptures, but then they've been unfaithful. That's why they're referred to as faithless. And he finds that disgusting. On the other hand, look back at verse 63. 
I am a companion of all who fear you, of those who keep your precepts. This is a guy that's identifying with other believers. This is a guy for whom the Bible is the determiner of who his people are. It's, it's like what Jesus said. You, you remember that episode when Jesus' mother and brothers, they come and they think he's out of his mind. And they've come to seize him. And, and they, say, they say to him, your mother and your brothers are outside wanting to speak to you. And Jesus says, indicating his disciples, these are my mother and my brothers, the people that keep the word of my father. Verse 159, he's crying out to the Lord, consider how I love your precepts. Give me life according to your steadfast love. You, you hear what he's saying? God, I want what you have spoken. I want what you have promised. I want what your word says, so do it in me. That's what he's saying. Consider how I love your precepts. Give me life. According. He's, not, he's not trying to strong arm God. He's not trying to blackmail God. He's saying, your word has informed my desires. Do it in me. Give me this life that you promise. Because... This magnificent statement in Psalm 119, verse 160. The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Uh, the word sum here is literally head, the head of your word. Why would they say that? Why would they express it that way? Well, that, the, the Hebrew word head is used in a number of head-counting contexts. So, you know, there I don't know how many heads are in this room, but they would say, you know, there are They'd say so many heads. And then it came to be used in contexts where they're referring to, like this, the sum total of everything. The head of, and then they would talk about something that doesn't necessarily involve enumeration. And that's what's going on here. The sum total. You add everything that the Bible says up, you put it all together, and you evaluate it, and the conclusion is truth. That's what it is. The sum of your word, the, the, the total, the whole of your word is truth. And every one of your righteous rules endures forever and will never change. And so here he is in persecution again in verse 161. Princes persecute me without cause. But my heart, my heart stands in awe of your words. Uh, these princes, I think the, 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 the word for awe, you could render this dread. Princes are people who could provoke dread in people. They're, they're, they're impressive. They're powerful. They're people of station. They probably have uh, resources at their disposal, and they're after him. Princes persecute me without cause. But what he's in awe of, what he's in dread of is not the army. It's not the weaponry. It's not the impressive appearance of this official, this chieftain. What he's in awe of is the word of God. And what the word of God has communicated to him is the fear of God, which has driven out the fear of man. Verse 162, I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. Uh, I think he's, he's, he's hinting at, or he's, he's reaching for something that, that we've probably all experienced. Maybe you, you found some money at the baseball park, or maybe you, 
Uh, you, you came into an inheritance that you weren't expecting, or maybe it was time. You know, maybe you had something that you didn't really want to, you weren't all that excited about, like another day of school, and you got a snow day, and, and all of a sudden you got this stuff that you weren't looking for, and this is, or this time that you weren't looking for, this freedom. And he's saying, that's how the Bible makes me feel. I respond to your word the way that people respond when they conquer an enemy and they realize that enemy was a whole lot wealthier than they thought. And there's all this plunder now. That delight, the unexpected joy, that's what he feels in response to the Bible. Verse 163, look at the hate-love contrast in this verse. There's a hate-love contrast and a falsehood-truth contrast. Verse 163, I hate and abhor falsehood, but I love your Torah, your law. Implication, Torah is truth. I hate falsehood, but I love the truth. I love the Bible, the scriptures. Verse 164, seven times a day I praise you for your righteous rules. I don't think this should be taken literally like some, I think it's the Benedictine monks that have these seven appointed times during the day for, at which they praise the Lord, seeking to obey this literally. I think the seven times a day here is a, a, a figurative way to say all the time, all day long, all day long, I praise you for your righteous rules. You are not going to be able to feel this or do this unless the word is on your heart. This is a man who's talking like someone on whose heart the word is written. This, you will never be able to articulate this verse unless you commit yourself to the spiritual disciplines of Bible study and prayer. That's what you got to do. Verse 165. Great peace have those who love your law. Um, literally, or literally, the word peace there is shalom. And you know, he, he, he says here, shalom abounds for those who love your law. Sh great shalom have those who love your Torah. And, and this in the midst of, verse 161, princes persecute me without cause. Verse 157, many are my persecutors. Verse 150, they draw near who persecute me. But you know what my life is like? Shalom, abounding. That's what this guy is saying. Where does this come from? This comes from the distractions are not taking him away from the Bible. The tiredness, his response to the tiredness, it doesn't matter if I feel tired. It's time for me to read the Bible. The, 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 uh, the busyness, I am too busy not to read the Bible. The difficulty, as I was thinking about the difficulty of understanding the Bible, I thought of, of this, uh, this illustration. A few years ago, I was, uh, I was privileged to go on a, a, uh, a, a whitewater uh, rapids uh, river excursion through the Colorado River, you know, down through the middle of the Grand Canyon. And we had these guys that were, that were, that were manning the boats, that were driving the boats. And these guys could read the river. They could see where the rocks were from the way that the water was moving. 
And, and one of my friends, a good friend of mine, we're, we're watching these guys operate as they're navigating these rapids because if you take the rapid wrong, we're all going to wind up in the water, you know? The, the boat's going to turn up. The boat might be mangled. you got to go through that thing the right way if you want to make it through. And, and my buddy said, these guys must be really gifted in order to be able to do this. I said, I don't think that's it at all. <laughs> I said, they do this every day. This is where they live. This is their full-time job. That's why they can see where the rocks are. Somebody has trained them, and then they've spent all this time on the river. They've got to have all these hours on the river before they're put behind the wheel of that boat. It, it's a, whatever you do every day. Sadly, I bet there's some people in this room that are like a river guide in a video game. You talk about a waste of life. You talk about something trivial and worthless that you can do that makes your window close real fast. You talk about something that's going to make it so that when you start to live spiritually, you're going to wind up with a torn ACL or a, a dislocated shoulder. Somebody's going to mangle you on the field of battle in spiritual warfare. Waste your life on a video game and you'll get it. Look at verse 165. Shal great shalom have those who love your Torah. Great peace have those. I don't care that the persecutors are around. I don't care that the adversaries are near. Peace abounds because of the Bible. Because the Bible is awesome. And it does things to us. It changes us. Look at what he says at the end of verse 165. Shalom abounds for those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. Nothing can make them stumble. Put the trap in their path. Dig a pit for them to fall into. What do they got? They got this Bible that's a light on the path and a lamp for their feet. It's exposing the snare. And they're, and they're prepared and they're trained. You know, it's like Tom Brady taking the snap and here comes an unexpected rush and he's like, hey, I watched this on film. I know what to do. You're not going to sack me. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. I hope for your salvation, O Lord, and I do your commandments. Notice the connection between future expectation and present obedience. If we were to ask, let's rephrase this. Why do you obey? Because I'm hoping for God's salvation. Why are you resisting temptation? Because of what's going to happen at the end. Why are you turning away from all the forbidden things? Because I'm hoping in God's salvation. You see what's coming out of that? I believe God. And, and the promises of God are, are more, they, they promise to be more rewarding than the fleeting pleasures of this sin. I hope for your salvation, O Lord, and I do your commandments. My soul keeps your testimonies. There's that, that uh, safe imagery. It's like his soul is a safe, and he's put the testimonies in there, and he's locked it up, and he's going to hold on to them and preserve them. I keep your, test, your precepts and testimonies. My soul keeps your testimonies in verse 167. I love them exceedingly. Verse 168, I keep your precepts and testimonies for all my ways are before you. There's the fear of God again. He knows he lives his life before the eyes of God. And because of that, he's keeping the word of God. Verse 169, 
Let my cry come before you, O Lord. There's this, this piling up of these appeals, these, these prayers at the end of this psalm. And it's, it, almost, it almost starts to feel really urgent here as we, as we make our way to the end of this very long psalm. Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. You hear what he's saying, don't you? The word promises understanding. And the more he understands from the word, the more he wants to understand. This is just like James. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Who gives generously without finding fault? Don't be a spiritual fool. Don't be a spiritual slob. Don't be somebody that's the equivalent of a football player who never works out, doesn't show up to practice, and then walks out there to get slaughtered, probably injured, definitely lose. Don't try that spiritually. Verse 170, let my plea come before you. Deliver me according to your word. There it is again. Let my plea, the prayer, according to your word, Bible study. It's all through this thing. Prayer and Bible study. It's like he's saying, do you want to live? You want to know how I live? It's like he's saying, you want to know how to become an oak of righteousness? You want to become somebody who's a, a life giver to everybody that knows you? You want to come, become somebody who's actually able to turn away from tempting things, enticing things. You want to become somebody who is spiritually responsible. This is what you do. You commit yourself to prayer and the word. That's what you do. Verse 171. My lips will pour forth praise, for you teach me your statutes. You want to become somebody whose heart wells up with gratitude and joy and worship for God, praise. My lips will pour forth praise, for you teach me your statutes. This guy understands the Bible. That's why he wants to praise God. My tongue will sing of your word. This is an interesting verb. It could actually be rendered, some, rendered something like chant. My tongue will chant your word. And I think this is why the Jews who uh, put those cantillation marks all through the Old Testament, and, and then they memorized it according to the, you know, the, sort of the meter and the rhythm of the words indicated by those cantillation marks. They're trying to obey this. My tongue will chant your word, for all your commandments are right. Everything you say is right. So I'm going to repeat the words out loud until I can say them without looking. My tongue will chant your word, for all your commandments are right. And then here's another appeal. Let your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. He's saying the help that God is going to give me is better than the help I could receive if I were to compromise with my persecutors, if I were to capitulate to their demands. The help that I'm holding out for from God is better. Verse 174, I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Your law, the Bible, is my delight. Let my soul live and praise you and let your rules help me. And then, again, there's so much encouragement in the scriptures. Here this guy is, this inspired psalmist, 
confessing and repenting of his sin and crying out to be delivered from all the things that would take him away from the Lord. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not commit, forget your commandments. If, if you're here and you feel like, yeah, I'm a spiritual loser. I, I am spiritually broken because I've, 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 I've walked out there unprepared and they smashed me. And, and, and I'm undisciplined and I'm a wreck and I'm a slob and I'm, I am spiritually flabby. If you feel that way, there's hope for you. Start right there with praying Psalm 119, verse 176. I've gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant. He's the good shepherd. He'll do it. I'm going to say one. I'm going to give you one possible application on the difficulty of the Bible. Um, Anna graciously printed up these uh, reading plans through the Bible in a year reading plan. Uh, based on a book that I wrote called God's Glory and Salvation Through Judgment. And um, the, the idea here is that you let that book give you like a guided tour of the Bible. And so you, you read through, the, we're coming up on the start of the new year, coming up on January. You, you could, you could if, if you've never read through the whole Bible and you think, well, I, I don't think I can make it through Leviticus or Chronicles. Well, here's some help. Here's some help maybe understanding why those books are useful and, and good for you. Several years ago, I, was, I had the opportunity to be in Paris. My sister was with the IMB as a journeyman in Paris. And I was flying home from having taught for a week in Romania. And I stopped through and had like a three-day layover in Paris. I had one day at the Louvre. And, and I couldn't even begin to scratch the surface. That's how the Bible is. The Bible, you, could spend, you can read through it this year and you won't begin to scratch the surface. But I, I rented one of those one of those audio, you know, guided tours. And it was, it was magnificent to be able to walk up to a painting and have this guy explain to me what was going on in this painting or, or with this sculpture. It was also fun to, um, I, I sort of I attached myself to this high school teacher who was giving his students a tour in English of, of these magnificent works of art. And the guy was awesome. It's wonderful to have somebody explain to you what is going on with these magnificent works of art. So if this is helpful for you, they're out there on the welcome table. Please pick it up, take it with you. Get some help in reading them. It is difficult. It's like the Louvre. You walk in there, you're like, I don't even know the names of these things, much less why they, are, why they ought to be something I pay attention to. But once somebody starts pointing out to you what's going on, you're like, I understand why people spend their whole lives here. I understand why people come here every day and, and make this their nine-to-five job, studying all this stuff. That's how the Bible is. Um, in that article that I, that I keep referencing about Tom Brady, um, he made this comment that I'm sure uh, offended LeBron James. He said, um, imagine how good LeBron would be if he trained like I train. That's kind of an arrogant thing to say. You know, it makes some assumptions about what LeBron's not doing. But, but Tom Brady is training like nobody else in professional football, isn't he? Do you want to be a pillar in the house of God? Do you want to be an oak of righteousness? Here we have in Psalm 119 the personal testimony, uh, testimony of a man who walked with God. Do you want to walk with God? 
Do you want to be somebody that for your friends, for your family, for your children, you're an aroma of hope and confidence and faith? I can almost hear this psalmist saying, imagine how good they would be if they prayed like I prayed. Imagine how good they would be if they studied the word like I did. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that Jesus came. And we thank you, Lord, that Jesus was the man of the Bible. We thank you for the way that he he responded to temptation with the truth of the word. We thank you for the way that he lived out obedience to your commands. And we thank you for the way that he said to all who would follow him, take up the cross, come after me. Lord, we thank you that his righteousness makes it so that the standard we could never attain has been attained by him on our behalf. And we also thank you for the way that his life inspires us to live as he did. We pray that when he comes, he would find faith on the earth, that he would find us faithful. And we ask it in his name. Amen.